Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Previously in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy introduced us to the five final truths that Paul gives us at the end of chapter 5. We've already studied the reality of sin and the universality of death. Today we'll study the third truth, the historicity of the Genesis account. I want you to turn back in your Bibles to the book of Romans chapter 5. Some of you are saying, Pastor, you're stuck. You know, there's a time when you come to, you find a golden vein of truth. And you keep mining and mining. And the more you mine it, you find out there's more truth there. There's more truth there. There's more to be seen here. And I think this is the case with Romans chapter 5 with me. And there's so much there that as you dig and you dig and you dig, you see things and they begin to come to the surface because we cannot exhaust the scriptures by the way I will preach through the book of Romans it might take me three years or four years somebody will come after me and preach through the book of Romans and open things to you that you've never seen it is just a marvel of God's word it's like a diamond with different facets and it depends on the angle of truth that you, you see in the past and God speaks to people very differently so Romans chapter 5, I want to commence a reading from verse number 12 again. We read to the end of the chapter. And then I want to talk to you on the subject on the historicity of Genesis 1 and 3. The historicity of Genesis 1 to 3. Now don't turn me off because you don't like doctrine. Don't turn me off, okay? I hope to show you the value of this and how important it is in relation to the Christian life. As a matter of fact, how important it is to Christianity. Because if Genesis 1 to 3 is not true, Christianity topples. Christianity is completely demolished. There's no basis of the Christian faith. And that's how important Genesis chapter 1 to 3 is. Romans chapter 5, reading from verse Verse 12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And notice the brackets, the parenthesis, for until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Now you, you'll follow, I'll deal with that text. Paul's argument is, uh, you can't impute sin to somebody unless there's a law. Okay? But yet, there was no law before the law of Moses, yet people died. See? That is the argument he's going to build on. See? And we'll talk about what that means and the significance of that. And then he says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, many be dead, how much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. Is contrasting the first Adam and he's contrasting the last Adam. 
He's contrasting Adam with Christ. And uh, we will deal with that in, in more detail as we go on in, in the next sermon. Verse 15. But not of the offense or also the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, have abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sin, so is the gift. For judgment was by one to condemnation. But the free gift is of many unto justification. So Adam brought condemnation upon humanity. Christ brings justification. See the contrast is being worked out in this passage. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. Adam brought death, but Christ brings life. Death reigns today, but the day is coming when life will reign. Again, he's drawing a, a contrast between Adam and Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification. Once again, he's contrasting the two characters. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one, many shall be made righteous. You know, there are people today who blame God for allowing Adam to sin. They say, well, if God knew Adam would sin, why didn't stop him? And they have a big argument uh, that God, therefore, must be the perpetrator of sin in the world because he didn't stop what he could stop. But may I ask you a question? Does anybody in here want to be a robot? That you have to do something that I tell you to do? None of us, we want freedom, we want liberty. We can't have it both ways. The fact that we have freedom, we have a choice. And choice always involves the possibility of going wrong. And when God made man, he made man like himself. With a choice. See, He could not make man other than how he made him. With a free choice, a moral choice. But then he's going to show that if you want to blame God for what Adam did. He's going to show that God solved the problem of bringing Christ. Because what Adam did, Christ unravels. See, if you blame God for one, give God the credit for the other. See, This is what the Apostle Paul is dealing with. Then verse 20, uh, 19. For as by one man's disobedience, many may be made sinners. So by the obedience of, of one shall many be made righteous. Then verse 20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace much more did abound. He's talking about the utility of the law. Why the law came in and why God brought the law. The law was not a means of life. What it was a means of really to increase the offense. Uh, to delineate what sin is in greater detail. So that we understood what sin was. To a greater extent. That was the whole purpose of the law. It was never mean to bring life to anybody. Verse 21, that as sin have reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ. Again, the contrast between the two. Death reigns today, but life one day will reign when Christ comes back and set up his kingdom and enters and ushers in the golden age of eternity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word this evening. 
We thank you for that which preceded your word, which is the songs, and especially that great noble song by your great saint that has now gone on before and has laid the foundation for our liberties and our freedom. The great Martin Luther. How he struggled and how sometimes we struggle. But thank God he did not surrender to the tyranny of his times. That he would have chosen death rather than submit to the error of the Roman church. And while he wanted to reform the Roman church, his plan was not to destroy the Roman church. And he tried for years to reform the Roman church. It cannot be reformed. And so he made the ultimate choice to separate, not with the intention of starting another denomination, but with the intention of calling God's people out from apostasy and becoming the true church, the ecclesia, the called out assembly. And how we thank you that he was so daring and so bold to take that stand so that today, centuries later, we are reaping the benefits of his courageous choice and decision. And what a mighty fortress you have been for him and what a mighty fortress you are for us. Help us therefore as your people to be ruled by truth and not to be controlled or manipulated by the error of our times. Lord, we go into this passage this evening and we once again dig into the word of God to find out what is there for us to study, what is there for us to understand. And I pray that we will come to this passage and understand that the depths cannot be plumbed by any man and the truth that is here is truth that is meant for us to embrace and truth that is meant for us to defend. Help us as your people to see how this relates to us, but above all, how this relates to the world in which we live, the contemporary world. Because we are called as your people not just to meet and assemble. We are called to meet and assemble around your word for the benefit of going out in our communities, in our workplaces, in the marketplace and sharing the glad tidings and the knowledge that we have about your word. Father, help us to understand that there's only one answer to the confusion of our times and that is the truth of scripture. May we understand this, may we appreciate this. Therefore, may we try to grasp more and more of it in order to help modern man out of his darkness and lead him to the light that leads to Christ. Would you help me this evening as I go into your word? Would you give me understanding? Would you give me apprehension? Would you give me the capacity to explain in a way that it is easily grasped and understood? But may you also allow that your Holy Spirit will do the work that I cannot do. And that is to illuminate the understanding in the minds of your people and help them to appropriate the truth of your word and apply that word to their lives. Oh God, I pray that the Spirit of God would do his work. Help me to be faithful in discharging my responsibilities as a pastor and help the congregation to be responsible in responding to your word as taught from scripture. Bless this time together. Whatever is accomplished this evening, we will be mindful to thank you and to praise you and to give you the honor and the glory because to you only these things are deserved. 
In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Last Sunday night, I called your attention to this final section of Romans chapter 5. And I pointed out to you that in this final section of chapter 5 from verse number 12 on to the end of the chapter. That in this chapter, Paul raises five major issues that are of great significance. In verse number 12, the first thing that Paul talks about is the reality of sin. And he says, wherefore is by one man sin into the world. We, we dealt with that and not coming back again to that. But whatever happened to sin? People don't talk about it anymore. And there's a, a, a book, by the way, written by a psychologist by that title. Whatever happened to sin? And if you read the book, he's pleading for the church to go back to call sin, sin. Because the medical model is that people are sick. They're not sinful. And he's saying to the church, when you surrender the biblical doctrine of sin, you can't help man out of the morass that he finds himself in. So he pleads for us to go back to the doctrine of sin. The reality of sin. In verse number 12 too, Paul deals with a second major issue. The universality of death. Death is everywhere. I came in here this morning to preach. I'm about to get up to preach. And then somebody tapped me on the shoulder. And I realized uh, who it was. And the person said to me, Pastor, do you know that so-and-so from um, Maranatha Baptist Church died? I said, who died? And then, of course, he explained to me the lady that does the herbs and this kind of thing. And I knew exactly what she was talking about. See? Death is everywhere. See? You know, there's one thing I can guarantee you. Turn on your television tonight. Or sometime during the day when they do the obituaries. Every single day, somebody dies in Antigua. Every single day. See? And that person is going to be you. And it's going to be me someday. See? See? So death is a, a, a universal experience. And man has to deal with the whole question of sin. Man has to do the whole question of death. See? And by the way, until you face your demise and your death... You're not ready to live yet. You don't know what living is about until you face the fact that you are mortal. And your time is very short. So pastor, I'm young man. I'm, I'm 25. I'm 45. Man, I, I'm a young. Why you talk so much about this kind of thing? Because the grim reaper is coming for you. Ask not who the bell tolls for. It tolls for you. See? And it tolls for me. The reality is that we have to face... The fact that death is just universal. There's no place you can run. You can run from Antigua and go to Barbados. You'll meet death there. You can leave Antigua and run to the States. You'll meet death there. You can leave the States and go to Russia. You'll meet death there. I always remember the fable of the man living in Baghdad. In what is called Iraq. And one day he was in the marketplace. And when he was in the marketplace. He saw a man on a black horse. And when he asked the man who he was. He said I am death. And I am coming for you. 
Well, he took off on the horse and he ran and ran and ran. And he went. I forgot where he went. A place called Korsabad. When he got to Korsabad, guess who he met? He met death. And death said, I, was I came to tell you that's where I'm going to meet you. That's where I was going to meet you. I just came to tell you that. You can't run. It's coming. And you better make sure you're ready for your demise. So Paul talks about the reality of sin in verse 12, verse A. He talks about the universality of death in, in verse 12, verse B. And then in verses 13 and 14 and following, Paul talks about the historicity of the book of Genesis. The first three chapters. Paul talks about one man bringing sin. One man bringing death. As we all know, that one man's sin... Death passed upon all men. It's been imputed to men. And then later on in verse 14, he talks about that man. He said, that man is Adam. He's emphasizing that the Bible story is not mythology. It's not legend. It's not just a story. He is saying this is a historical event that occurred in time and space on planet earth. And by the way, his whole argument is this. If this event occurred historically and Adam was a historical person, he contrasts Adam with Christ and it means that Christ was a historical person and he lived in time and space on planet earth. Adam was the first man, Christ is the last man, the last Adam. If there was no real Adam, there's no real Christ. That's the point he's pointing out. And as a matter of fact, if there was no first Adam, there's no need for a second Adam or last Adam. He's talking about the historicity of the book of Genesis. And that's what I'm dealing with tonight. So that's the third issue that he deals with in this chapter. But then if you look at verse 15 to 19, you'll find that he talks about the sufficiency of Christ. And he does that in a very simple way. He shows you that Christ has reversed and unraveled everything that Adam did. He has neutralized and canceled everything that Adam did. Adam brought death, but Christ brought life. Adam brought sin, but Christ brought righteousness. Adam disobeyed, but Christ obeyed. Adam disconnected us from God and alienated us from God, but Christ connects us to God, reconciles us to God. In other words, he's saying, whatever Adam did, Christ is sufficient to reverse and to cancel. What glorious truth the Apostle Paul is dealing with in this section. That's why he said it's a gold mine. You can't read a passage and just glibly go over it. No, you, you settle down, you begin to think about what this means. The ramifications for what it means. And then finally, in verse number 20... To verse 21, the Apostle Paul talks about the utility of the law. And Paul has to do that because as a Jew, the Jews are always making the law the central thing. Paul makes Christ central and sufficient, not the law. So he brings in the law to explain why God brought the law. What was the, what was the purpose of it? So there's the reality of sin, the universality of death, the historicity of Genesis... The sufficiency of Christ and the utility of the law. Those are the five issues that Paul raised in this section. Now I've already dealt with the first two of these. The reality of death 
without sin and the universality of death. And by the way, hardly anyone questions the reality of those two things. I've never met anybody that really questioned sin or death except one person. And I'll tell you who that person is for just a moment. But you know the empirical evidence all around us is that these things are universal and real and true. Take up the newspaper, read it, and you'll see sin and death. See? Go on the news uh, and listen to CNN. And if somebody is not shooting somebody and some woman didn't have a child and bought a child somewhere and left him under a house somewhere and found somewhere, somebody just took a gun and, and, and slaughtered three, two, uh, 20 or so people. See? You know, madness. But the fact is, the reality of sin and death is there before our eyes. And of course, as I mentioned before, uh, you know, if you got the television, I am guarantee you that you're going to read the obituary tomorrow and tomorrow and the next day, the next day, the next day, the next day. These are empirical facts. Nobody questioned these things. In my lifetime, I've only met one man who told me he wasn't going to die. I'm telling you the truth. I know that might seem crazy, right? His name was David. And um, I took him out, had a conversation with him. I tried to find out where he was spiritually, and I began to talk to him and to tell Dave, you know, you've you got to get your heart right with God. You're going to meet God someday. You're going to die someday. And Dave would tell me, I'm not going to die. I say, you'll be the first man not to die. So anyhow, he left, and he went back, and he came back a second time. And I thought it was important to drill home the point. Dave, you're, you're, you're in your 60s. Know what his dream was? And his dream was, he just bought land in Belize. His dream is this dream house in Belize. That's his whole goal, to build this house in Belize. So he came back the second time and I chatted with him. I said, Dave, you know, whatever you believe, I'm telling you, you're going to die. I'm not going to die. Well, I never got through to him and he left. I didn't hear from him for a while. As a matter of fact, almost... Six months, a year, didn't hear from him. So I got on the phone and I called my mom and I said, Mom, you know something? I haven't heard from David. She said, he's dead. See? The man that would not die <laughs> knows that there's something called death. See? Because he is among the dead. See? He's the only man that I've ever met in my entire life that argued with me that he was not going to die. That was crass stupidity. Uh, but when you are educated above your intelligence and common sense, it can lead you down the path of ignorance. And I think that's the path he was going. He was oblivious to his own stupidity because he thought he was an intellect. Dave, where are you? Dave! Oh, he will tell you, don't come this place. Don't come this place. Just don't come this place. I found out who the real Grim Reaper is. And I wish I'd listened to what you're saying. Today, nobody questions the reality and the universality of sin and death. But while we hardly question the matter of sin and death, there's a massive debate that goes on about the book of Genesis and the first three chapters. Ever since Darwin wrote his Origin of the Species, the world has never been the same. They listed Darwin as the greatest 
20th century uh, intellect and influencer that the world has known in the 20th century. He changed the whole world. Prior to Darwin, there was a Christocentric world. People believe in God. Theology. A theocentric world. People believe in a God. They might not have followed a God. They might have gone to church. But they believe in a supreme being. There was a God. Darwin came and now they say, we don't need God. God is a myth. Darwin did that. And what has happened as a result of Darwin doing that, that error crept into the church. Two German theologians. They brought it into the church. And from Europe, it went into England. And the English church imbibed it. And from England, it went to America. And the American church imbibed it. And it left America and came to all over the world. And today, there are people who don't believe that Genesis chapter 1 to 3 are real and true. They're not historical. They label it as myth. They call it legend. They say sometimes they use the word folklore. They call it ancient poppycock. In other words, nonsense, folly, idiocy, inanity, just pure fiction. That's what people believe about it. And it's all a result of secular, humanistic, pseudo-scientific evolution. Because they have taken that and embraced it. They cannot countenance the idea that the first few chapters in Genesis are true. And let me tell you why. They come to Genesis and the Bible says, And God shall let there be light. And they said, Pastor, there could not be light before the sun. So Genesis can't be correct. Where did light come if there was not sun? God is light. He is light. So why do you think it's necessary for the sun to be made before we get light? But because it doesn't follow the scientific order of natural things, they say that Genesis cannot be correct. It is scientifically inaccurate because it talks about light before the sun was given. They also laugh at the six days of creation. Blah, 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 blah. How could God do all of this in six days? And then they listened to a guy called Littleton in the 18th century who came out with these ge geological ages. By the way, the scientific investigator has turned those ages upside down. Completely. The evidence is in. The man in the 18th century didn't even know what he was talking about. But when you've put that in a scientific document, you can't change it because you admit you were wrong. You ever look at Botanica? Encyclopedia, you see the Java man, the Cormongan man, all of those are fakes. They know they're fakes. One of them was created out of a tooth of a pig. They know that, but they wouldn't change it because they've already deluded the world. And to admit they've been wrong, the whole system of false pseudo-scientific falls to the ground and collapses. And they lose their prestige. So they say that light could not have occurred before the sun. The six days could not have happened. God could not have created in six days. Listen, God could create in one day if he wanted to. He's God. He could. And then, of course, uh, they deny that sin brought death. And here's why they deny it. Because if evolution is true, there was death before Adam came because... Adam progressively came from, 
from plants and then animals and so on and so on. So they had to die and come again. So they had to teach that there was death before Adam came. But the Bible said death came through sin. So this, this is scientifically inaccurate. But if the person who was there tell you what happened, you are a fool to believe something else. That's your problem. That's your problem. The only one who was there was God. If he tell you what happened and you choose to disbelieve, you are our fault, friend. And nothing I can do can persuade you. Until you humble yourself before a great big God and understand you're just a puny human being with a limited mind, little understanding, and that you need to just humble yourself before God and embrace the truth of God's word. So they do not believe there was any light before the sun came. And since the Bible says light was there before the sun, scientifically inaccurate. They don't believe in six days of creation because they have all these geological ages. And then they denied that Adam was the first man. Adam was not the first man. Adam is the man who came to the ideal and perfect man. But he was not the first man. There were other men before Adam. You see, when you come to the Bible and you ignore the historicity of the book of Genesis, you are in real trouble. You are in profound trouble. It actually undermines your salvation if you don't believe in Genesis 1 to 3. Because Paul is going to argue that what took place in Genesis 1 to 3, Christ undid. But if there was nothing for Christ to undo, this salvation is a myth. And we need to close down the door and turn this into a warehouse and rent it out and make some money. Okay. And then they deny that Eve came from Adam. God said that God put Adam to sleep, anesthetized him, put him to sleep, then took a part of Adam and created the woman. He said, that didn't happen. A woman evolved just like Adam evolved. See. Who's right? And why in the world would the church embrace that heresy? How could that have happened? It is called the great theological apostasy, the falling away that would take place before the Lord returns. Our Lord was sure to make us not to be worried or, or just throw our hands up in death. How could this ever happen? Because God said it's going to happen. It will. He saw from the beginning what would happen. And he saw that this would enter the church and mislead many. So what happens as well, if there was no Adam, Eve didn't come out of Adam. If there was death before Adam was made or Adam came about, it means there's no sin. Adam didn't fall. And that's what they teach as well. There was no fall for Adam at all. They attribute all the failures and all the attributes that we have and all the idiosyncrasy we have. They attribute all of that to the incomplete evolution. That's why the way we are. So Pat, the reason why a man take a gun and shoot another man. The reason why a man who is married is going to sleep with another man's wife. The reason why a man working at a bank would embezzle, embezzle the funds. The reason why a believer finds himself in this situation would lie to get themselves out of that mess. You know why? They say the evolution is incomplete. But when will it be complete? They can't tell you. See. That is what we're up against when we come to the book of Genesis chapter number 3. 
So they deny there's a God. And they believe that this whole human experience is a result of accident, chance, with time, space, and energy. It just happened. Without any rhyme or reason. So what we are saying today, that when you look at the modern man you're dealing with, he believes that the world is a cosmic accident. It just happened fortuitously. There's no creator, there's no architect, there's no designer, there's no intelligent agent. It just happened. Do you buy that? Do you buy that? What if I would told you that car just happened? I mean, it, it wasn't there before, but it just happened. There's not a single living person in here that would believe that car just happened. But one single cell in your body is a thousand times, a million times more complex than that car. Far more complex. But if that can't happen, why are we so dumb to believe that the greatest act of creation didn't happen? See? That's why Paul says, they became fools. Turning away from the creator, they allowed the vain imagination to took them into idolatry. To worship the creature rather than the creator. And God, Paul condemns it in chapter 1 of the book of Romans. See? It just happened. Now, the ramifications of this modern view, by the way, and this modern philosophy is horrific. Uh, it's a moral catastrophe if you believe what they're saying. Because if the book of Genesis is not right, and the first three chapters are not right, there was no Adam, there was no Eve, they weren't created, there's no fall, there's no sin, there's no God. You know what that means? Let me tell you what that means for the average man. And this is how you will understand the average guy you meet on the street that's not a Christian. If that is true, life has no meaning, it has no purpose. And there's no destiny to go after. So when you meet the average guy in the street, you can't understand why he lives the way he lives. My mama, you're so crazy. Why you use drugs? I mean, it's destroying your life. Why you use drugs? You can't see from others why you use drugs. Why you use drugs? You meet another man and he's telling him, but listen, the way you live, you're not scared of AIDS and herpes and, and, and chancroid and the other 24 STDs. I mean, why you live this way? And the reason for that is, life has no meaning and love has no purpose and there's no destiny to head to. And by the way, the logic and the consequence of such an attitude is very clear. If there's no end for me, if, I, if I'm at a life there and then blank, I go and I'm no more. No consciousness, no personality, there's no accountability, there's nothing. Just zilch, I'm here and zilch. What am I living for? Why do not live like the other people? Why don't join the bandwagon and go into the carnival and walk up? Why don't chase women all the place and, and put notches on my gun? Why don't do that? Why don't just take marijuana and crack and cocaine and heroin and just have a, a just blow my brain apart? Why? And why not live for pleasure? Because that's all that's left. When you think about it. And that's where the modern man is today by the way. If you don't understand that that's the philosophy that controls the humanistic modern thinking today. You'll never understand them. You see the problem with us. We're talking to people as though they're Christians. As though they understand Christianity. 
and they hold our views. But we're talking to people, they're, 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 they're are so far from us. We're trying to relate to them at the Christian level. But to them, there's no Adam, there's no Christ, there's no God, there's no creation, uh, there's no sin. I'm here by accident. You'll never understand what is happening in the world until you appreciate that. I don't want to get off on one of my favorite topics, by the way. But you see that little baby? She's alive, right? But imagine that Rhoda has produced that baby. The child is born. We've now reached the stage where I take that baby and I lay the baby on a, a counter. And I make the baby feel warm. Then I say, let's talk about this thing now. You want that child dead? You want me to kill that child? That's where we are today. That's where we are. If this isn't madness, I don't know what is. But that's where we are. And you ask her, how can politicians believe that? And by the way, those of you who support a political party believe that, you are part of the conspiracy as well. You will be held accountable. You are an enabler of that kind of thinking. So you think you're going to get away, you're not going to get away one bit. See? It's like me knowing somebody out there is killing little babies and I say nothing about it. I do nothing about it. I support it. I endorse it. I will be held. I am part of the conspiracy. And that's what's happening in the church, by the way. That's why the, the world is so confused. That the Christians supporting political parties that slaughter kids. 37 million of them since 1974. And to them, it's nothing. And I wonder sometimes, where is our Christianity? Where is our loyalty? Is our loyalty to Scripture, loyalty to God, or loyalty to a political party or political person? And it really, the proof of the pudding is the eating. It's not so much what we say we believe. It's what we do in life. What we support in life. That really determines what we really believe. It's a tremendous exposure of what is going on. So here's a man, and he's gone tomorrow, and he's just a blank. He ceases to exist. There's no consciousness. There's no personality. There's no identity. He's just erased, completely erased. Now, if that's all I'm living for and all I'm headed to, quite frankly, I want to enjoy myself down here. I might as well enjoy. I might as well blow it down here if that's the case. So when you see what is going on and it doesn't make sense to you, it's because you have a different mindset. You have a Christian worldview. You have a Christian philosophy. That's how you're thinking. You're not thinking of the man who doesn't see life as just chance and going out. Nothing. Emptiness. So I'm saying to you this evening that if the world's way of thinking, the world's philosophy of thinking, uh, you can't blame them for making pleasure and comfort and happiness. The whole purpose in living. I repeat, you can't blame them for making comfort and pleasure and happiness the whole purpose in living. What do you live for? What do you live for? That's a hypothetical question. But tell me what you live for and I'll tell you what your religion is like. You know what I live for? And what I hope you live for? I live with the hope of doing God's work 
and one day getting his approval, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's all I live for. Nothing else I live for. That's all I live for. My entire life has been about that basic principle. That's what authentic Christianity is about, by the way. It's not living for pleasure, living for comfort, and living for your happiness. It's living to do the will of God. See? To hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is what you live for as a Christian. And if you're not making that your ambition, your goal, I want to say that you have a Christian deficit. And the day is coming when you will discover that all that you have, wood, hay, and stubble, will all be burned up. There's nothing, 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 no rewards whatsoever. Because your whole purpose in life has been skewed. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us the fundamental questions of man answered by Genesis chapter 1 to 3. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.